Would you bet a few thousand dollars that you could sink an eight-foot putt? What about 10 grand that you could win a drag race against a Camaro with a thousand horsepower? If you bet $2 million, could you bet it all on one football game? Maybe you wish you could, but you probably wouldn't. Gamblers is about the people who did. From the Ringer Podcast Network, listen to Gamblers Season 2 on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Town is brought to you by FX's Feud, Capote versus the Swans. The second installment in Ryan Murphy's Feud anthology tells the story of acclaimed writer Truman Capote, once a confidant to society's most elite women, whom he nicknamed the Swans. Starring Naomi Watts, Diane Lane, Chloe Sevigny, Calista Flockhart, Demi Moore, Molly Ringwald, and Tom Hollander. For your Emmy consideration, visit fxnetworks.com FYC. This episode is brought to you by Netflix, presenting The Crown as the beloved series bids farewell. Deserving of praise on every level, says New York Magazine. Throughout its groundbreaking six-season run, The Crown has featured three different casts, earned 273 award nominations, and secured 70 award wins, including outstanding drama series. Critics rave, The Crown secures its place in the pantheon of television history. From creator and writer Peter Morgan, the final season stars Imelda Staunton, Dominic West, and SAG Award winner Elizabeth Debicki. The Crown, for your Emmy consideration in all categories. It is Wednesday, October 5th. This one's a troubling topic, but nonetheless a fascinating one. Yesterday in a Los Angeles court, Angelina Jolie filed a countersuit against her ex-husband, Brad Pitt, and it included some pretty shocking details. Jolie claims that on a private plane in 2016, Pitt choked one of their six children and, quote, struck another in the face, end quote. And he, quote, grabbed Jolie by the head and shook her, end quote. The court filing also states that at one point he, quote, poured a beer on Jolie. And in another, he poured a beer and red wine on the children. Pretty dark stuff. A few days after that trip, Jolie filed for divorce and the FBI investigated what happened on that plane. But it never filed any criminal charges. Brad Pitt has in the past admitted and apologized for some bad behavior, but his lawyer countered yesterday that he's not going to apologize for things he didn't do. So what's actually going on here? Because this dispute has been going on for a few years now, and it isn't just about what Pitt did or didn't do on a plane, I actually thought it would be interesting to go into the legal issues at play. Because this is actually a financial lawsuit over a French winery that Brad and Angelina bought when they were married. It's called Chateau Miraval which produces a very popular rosé called Miraval. It's pretty good. I buy it a lot. Jolie sold half the winery to a controversial figure, Yuri Scheffler, and his Stoli group. And Pitt sued, claiming that his, quote, contractual rights were violated when she did so. Angelina then countered with this new filing, claiming that negotiations with Pitt to sell that half had broken down over his demand that she sign a non-disclosure agreement that would have contractually prohibited her from, quote, speaking outside of court about Pitt's physical and emotional abuse of her and their children. That opened the door for her to drop that bomb that she did, which is the details of everything she claims he did on that plane, which have been picked up by media outlets all over the world. It's a complicated legal issue and one that I thought it would be good to get Eric Gardner in here to talk about. Eric has been on the show before, and he is a writer at Puck, where I work. He covers all things legal in the media, entertainment, and technology worlds. And this one is certainly a fascinating legal issue. Again, we're not taking sides on this. We're not going into the specifics. We're going on what we know from the filing only. And 
you know, there's a lot of business and legal implications here. It's a fascinating case. Brad Pitt in particular is working a lot lately. So there's a professional implication as well. So we're going to dive into those particular issues. From The Ringer and Puck, I'm Matt Bellany, and this is The Town. All right, we are here with Eric Gardner. Eric is a writer at Puck. He does the Rainmaker newsletter, which is excellent if you don't subscribe. And Eric is a an expert on media and entertainment law. Uh, he's been following the Angelina Jolie-Brad Pitt dispute over their winery for years now. I mean, this has been going on almost since they got divorced in 2016. Uh, welcome, Eric. Hi, thanks for having me. So, you know, people see these headlines like Brad Pitt allegedly choked his kid, poured beer on people. Uh, what is actually going on behind the scenes here from a legal perspective? Yeah, well, I think there's a couple of things to to realize here. One is, you know, as you say, this has been going on for quite a, a while. It's very unusual to have a divorce proceeding that, that goes on for six years. And the second thing is that we're not just talking about the dissolution of a, of a, of a marriage. We're also talking about the uh, disentanglement of a business partnership. And, and why is that happening? Well, she says that her assets are all tied up in this wine estate. It's, it's like $60 million. And, and she's basically been frozen out of, out of her fortune. So as much as the two are trying to walk away from each other, they have to figure out this whole situation with, with the wine business because it's really the, the biggest asset of their marriage. Okay, now what's happening with with the latest headlines? Well, that's an interesting situation because you know the the abuse allegations are hardly secret. Uh, you know th this has been out there for for months and even years. But for the first time yesterday, she actually attached her name uh, to these abuse allegations. As recently as last month, uh, she had filed a countersuit, uh, and she was attributing it to news reports. Uh, other times when there were abuse allegations, it was under seal or it, it was under pseudonym. This is the first time that she's coming forward and attaching her name and, sa and saying, this is my story. This is actually what happened uh, on that on that plane flight. Yeah, but you you reported on this stuff a couple months ago with, you know, there was a Freedom of Information Act request sure. and what, what the federal authorities looked into in this case. Apparently, they were apparently close to filing some charges or at least considered it and then ultimately did not. So I think this is, you know, this has been going on for a while, but what I want to know here is that is why did it get to this? Because as you said, this is a, this is a essentially glorified divorce case, even though it is civil litigation over the value of, of this winery and whether she could sell her stake in it. Why did it get to the point where she pulled this trigger and used this leverage? Right. Well, that my point is that that really this is a public declaration of war that she's declaring. It's not clear to me whatsoever, like like what legal relevance these uh, abuse allegations have. I'm not sure really she needed to go into that much detail about it in, in the court filing. Oh, no, she, she clearly was, didn't. I mean, this is this is a pointed attack on a person that she knows this will get picked up all over the world. We haven't seen yet, but it may impact his career. And she has until now not gone there. And now she has gone there. So why is she going there now? Yeah. I mean, I can only speculate. I mean, I, this thing has been going on for years and years and years. I'm sure that there's a lot of frustration on both sides of the camp that, that they, they can't make any progress on this. And I don't know what, what, you know, backstage, 
uh, you know, negotiations there have been, but clearly there's an impasse and clearly there's frustration and clearly they've decided that that there needs to be some public pressure uh, to really move this thing forward. So, you know, we, we're, we're talking about, you know, the nuclear option here. I mean, I, I think that this is just the beginning rather than rather than just the, the middle stages. I think that that we're going to see a lot more to come. Um, I, I think this was a very meaningful development, not necessarily for, for, from the legal side, but but really from from kind of a public war standpoint that that, you know, we're going to start seeing, uh, you know, Brad Pitt mentioned in a whole different way. And uh, and, you know, it's going to be on, on him to really come back and, and provide, you know, explanations about what happened. And perhaps his own allegations against her. But so let's get into the legal stuff here, because that's what's fascinating to me. The he is claiming Brad is claiming that his, quote, contractual rights were violated when she sold her half of the winery to this third party, Yuri Scheffler, who clearly it was someone that he didn't want to be in business with. And she went and sold her half of the winery to this guy. Now, what she is claiming in this filing is that she did try to sell it to Brad Pitt. But those agreement, those negotiations broke down because he wanted her to sign an NDA. And those are very common in divorce proceedings. They're very common in civil litigation as well. But she said that she wouldn't do it. And that is why it broke down. Where do you see this legally playing out? Yeah, well, you know, History really is that he built this winery from the ground up and made it a huge success. And now she's looking to sell it out from under him. She's looking to hand over control to to Yuri, um, despite some sort of you know alleged understanding that they would ne- and neither one of them would independently sell out. And her story is that you know her assets are all tied up in this wine estate, and he's really fro- frozen her out of meaningfully participating. So she really has no choice but to sell. And, and he's frustrating her, her legal right to do so. So they have a, a very um, differing opinion on what, what uh, their legal rights are. You know, according to him, uh, she can't sell it. According to, to, to her, she has every right to sell it. And that's why they're in court, not just, uh, you know, in Los Angeles, but they there's a pending proceeding in Luxembourg right now. There's talk about a lawsuit coming uh, in France uh, right Over now. Over the for- same issues or different issues? There are very similar issues here, you know, in Luxembourg, for, for instance, when they first bought the the, the wine estate, uh, he, he got 60 percent of it and she got 40 percent of it. And at their marriage as kind of an engagement, uh, a gift. Uh, he gifted her 10 percent of the of, of the the uh, the winery for for one euro. Uh, and he says he never got that one euro. And that one year, oh please, with, really? One year came with conditions and everything. Even though they're married, I mean, yeah. you know, most states in in this country, not most, but many, including California, are community property states. So if they built that winery up together, she is entitled to half of the proceeds. Right, right, right. And then in France, there's a whole corporate war going on, you know, about board seats and who who, who gets to, you know, actually sit on the board of this winery and, and who's making decisions. And now both sides are actually at the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals trying to, you know, figure out uh, like discovery and whether Brad Pitt and his manager can be deposed and all that. And, and he's he's asking for an emergency stay. 
as weird as this is to believe, I, I think that is a chance that, that this that this uh, dispute could touch the Supreme Court as early as next year. You're kidding me. On what no. specific issue? On the discovery issue? On whether they can go after depositions of certain people? Yeah, on uh, on this whole like weird wonky fight over you know how to assist foreign proceedings going on between the two of them. Uh, you know, the a lot of people are are you know focused on like what's going on in Los Angeles right now in that in that one court case, but th- this is a international war that's going on between the two of them, and there's there's all sorts of side fights going on. Uh, this it, it is really exploding in in like an unbelievable way that you know I've rarely seen before. This episode is brought to you by Netflix, presenting The Crown as the beloved series bids farewell. Deserving of praise on every level, says New York Magazine. Throughout its groundbreaking six-season run, The Crown has featured three different casts, earned 273 award nominations, and secured 70 award wins, including outstanding drama series. Critics rave, The Crown secures its place in the pantheon of television history. From creator and writer Peter Morgan, the final season stars Imelda Staunton, Dominic West, and SAG Award winner Elizabeth Debicki. The Crown, for your Emmy consideration in all categories. One thing I want to know is if there isn't some physical contract here. We know that oral agreements can be enforced. Can he ultimately argue that they had an oral agreement as a married couple and business partners that neither would sell to a third party? That seems like the key issue here. Uh, it's a very uh, key issue, and it's a tricky issue because different jurisdictions have different standards on this. Uh, her whole point is, well, if they had an agreement, why wasn't it put in down in writing? Why can't he produce some, you know, a written contract where you know it says she couldn't sell out? And that's you know really like her biggest. Uh, point here. It's not that, that that she was abused on the plane. It's that he can't come uh, come up with a written contract about uh, you know how she didn't have any right to to sell the winery, uh, and that's like her biggest advantage here. Uh, you know, but yeah, he he uh, you know has other things, and he's going to point to witnesses or whatever, and you know they'll take testimony and all that, and try to prove that there was some sort of mutual understanding. I mean, that's a pretty, that's a pretty compelling argument to a jury. You know, where do you take that? Let's say Angelina decided to sell her half to Harvey Weinstein or Vladimir Putin or some, you know, really just awful figure. Could Brad not stop that? I mean, just because it's not in writing or did they have some understanding? I mean, I think that's a, that's a a common sense argument that there's got to be a line and who knows what this Yuri Scheffler person really is all about. I mean, there's Google him if you're interested in knowing more about him. Uh, But on the other side, Stoli Group is a, you know, legitimate purveyor of alcohol. It would seem like that would be a legitimate buyer for this business to help take it to the next level or whatever they want to do. So I see, I kind of see both sides there. I think also the complicating factor is that this is not just an asset. This is not just a, a winery. This, there's also a castle there. This is, was their primary residence where they were living. They got married there. Ex- exactly. So, you know, think of it, it, you know, it, think of it as, you know, any marriage, your home, 
you you get divorced and, and does that mean that that the uh, spouse who's moving out can sell you know half of the home to someone else while you're living there <laughs> well there's a law there's a large body of divorce and family law that gets into the exact scenarios that we're discussing it's just complicated by the fact that this is a functioning and extremely profitable winery and these are two of the most famous people in the world yeah absolutely i mean it, it is a very complicated situation and i also think it's a very explosive situation it's you know this this stuff's going to come up more and more i think people are going to have uh like hard questions to ask so we'll see the final question here is where does this all go i mean once you drop the nuclear bomb where what's left here i mean let's say if he doesn't settle immediately uh are you going to game this out does this go to trial i mean most cases don't this could very well go to trial. I think that there'll continue to be war of words between the two of them and for their reps. I think there'll also be other sorts of pressures. Uh, you know, he right now, he's uh, the producer of a, a movie about Harvey Weinstein called She Said. Uh, and I think that, you know, during the release of this film, there's there could very well be hard questions that are asked about, uh, you know, <laughs> about, uh, you know, his own behavior. So I, I think that he's that got a big is, Paramount movie coming out in, in December called Babylon with Margot Robbie. This is of course going to be, you know, the front and center question he's going to be asked on that press tour. So yeah, not great for him. Yeah. And uh, you know, for her, I mean, it's, it's just, you know, troubling situation. She's, she's got to deal with this and uh, you know, it, there's all these court cases going on right now and she's raising you know, the kids and, and all that. And yeah, I feel bad for the kids. I really do. Um, all right. Thanks, Eric. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. All right. We are back with the call sheet. Craig, I'm sure you saw Trevor Noah abruptly stepped down from The Daily Show this past week. Did not tell anyone. Just dropped the bomb. Went to lunch with the head of the network the day before he announced he was leaving, didn't bother to mention that he might be quitting the job that pays him, you know, eight figures a year. And they kind of built an entire branding campaign for the network around. What's the strategy behind that? <laughs> Why blindside them? I mean, you have to ask him, but, you know, there are people who believe that you just can't trust anyone these days not to leak that. And if you are Trevor Noah and you want to communicate directly to your fans why you are doing this, it's best to just do it on the air. I mean, he's a complicated guy. He was a star in the stand-up world uh, outside this country before he took over The Daily Show seven years ago. And he has a very lucrative career as a touring comic. He's a best-selling author. He's got movies in development, including some with the company that owns Comedy Central. So it's a very complex situation there. Uh, and, you know, he didn't want to do it anymore. He's only 38 years old. It's kind of nuts. So who do you think will be his successor? So that's my prediction. My prediction, I don't have a name. I think they will go to some of the usual suspects first. They'll probably go to Amy Schumer. They'll probably go to Jesus from Jesus and Marrow. They'll probably go to John Mulaney. I've heard his name come up. I don't think any of those people will do it. Uh, you know, the luster of a late night show is not what it was in even five, 10 years ago. It used to be you got these jobs and they had to pry them away from you. But the economics of streaming and TV are just totally different these days. I mean, the they will likely pay a lot less for whoever they get to host The Daily Show. Trevor Noah, as I said, was making eight figures. And 
that's just not what happens anymore. I mean, I, I have heard rumblings that CBS, when they're looking to fill the James Corden spot at 1230 on CBS, he's retiring at the end of the year, they are looking to have a hostless show, meaning it will be a different format than what we are used to in late night. So I think the entire economics of late night are changing. The audience is shifting. People watch this stuff in clips on YouTube. It hasn't been proven that daily comedy shows can do well on streaming. It's been much more of a weekly show phenomenon on streaming. They expire too quickly. They don't have enough time to resonate. Yeah. I mean, yeah. they these shows practically exist now just to hope that one of them, one of their segments goes viral for a day on a social media platform. Exactly. And I think that Comedy Central will ultimately end up selecting one of the correspondents when all of these other people pass or they can't work out a deal. So it could be Ronnie Chang, it could be Roy Wood Jr., it could be uh, Jenna Friedman, it could be any of these people who are, have been associated with Comedy Central. Um, keep the franchise going, but at a lower cost point. Got it, okay. That is the show for today. I wanna thank Eric Gardner. I wanna thank producer Craig Rollbeck, and I wanna thank you. We'll see you tomorrow. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.